Happy Spooky Season, ParCast listeners. I'm Molly from Unexplained Mysteries. And I'm Richard. In honor of Halloween, we're inviting you to light a torch and descend into the tombs of ancient Egypt's most prolific figures as ParCast brings you a special event called The Mummy's Curse. We'll be dusting off cobwebs and cracking open the coffins on five different shows. From conspiracy theories and haunted places to unsolved murders, unexplained mysteries, and rituals, we're excited to bring you history's spookiest and most adventurous tales. Ever wonder what happened to Nefertiti's lost tomb? Curious about King Tut's mysterious life and death? Want to explore Cairo's most haunted mansion or crack open the Book of the Dead? We're going to make like a mummy and unravel it all. In this episode, we're unlocking part two of Nefertiti's lost tomb. The famously beautiful queen disappeared from historical records several years into her husband's reign. But some Egyptologists believe she lived on under a new name as a pharaoh. The key to her life lies in her death. If archaeologists can find her missing grave, they can finally discover the truth. In 2014, Egyptologist Nicholas Reeves hunched over his computer. For hours, he carefully scanned an image of a painted wall, inch by inch. In the mural on his screen, 12 apes sat in orderly rows, their colors still bright after more than 3,000 years. Reeves was examining a new project by an art conservation group, a near-perfect laser-scanned replica of King Tut's tomb. The real tomb had been discovered by archaeologist Howard Carter 92 years before. The finding set off a kind of Egyptomania, bringing millions of tourists to see King Tut's amazingly preserved crypt. But Nicholas Reeves wasn't interested in tourism. He was looking for something. He scoured the tomb's digital walls, examining every brushstroke, until finally he found it. There, hidden behind the whorls of bright paint, were three indentations. There were perfect straight lines, and they came together, forming a large box. Reeves zoomed in, the lines spreading across his screen. After a moment, the pixelated image adjusted to a clear view. Reeves' eyes grew wide. It wasn't a box. It was a door. Welcome to Unexplained Mysteries, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm your host, Molly. And I'm your host, Richard. In life, there's so much we don't know. But in this show, we don't take we don't know for an answer. Every Tuesday and Thursday, we investigate the greatest mysteries of history and life on Earth. You can find episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. This is our final episode on Nefertiti's tomb, the last resting place of Egypt's most mysterious queen. 3,400 years ago, Nefertiti was a powerful ruler who helped bring about a new age of Egyptian civilization. But years later, she abruptly vanished, and her final resting place has never been found. 
Last time, we followed archaeologists as they tried to track down what happened to Nefertiti. We discussed the controversies surrounding her and her husband's reign and the discovery of their ancient city, Amarna. Today, we'll investigate possible sites for Nefertiti's lost tomb. Perhaps her grave was desecrated by her enemies, or she was moved to a secret chamber in another crypt, or maybe Nefertiti is hiding right under our noses in the most famous crypt of all, her stepsons, King Tutankhamun. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Bottling everything up can be really bad for you in the long run and have some terrible consequences. And this isn't a conspiracy theory. The more you let things build up, the more of a toll it can take on your mental health. I know for me, in dealing with some traumatic events in my life, I had the tendency to think, well, they've already happened. I'm okay. Other people have it worse. It doesn't matter much. And through therapy, was really able to understand how those events impacted me and changed how I'd started to see the world in ways that weren't great and were sometimes making my life worse. So therapy or dealing with any traumatic events you've had might really help you in terms of how you can live in the present moment now. So if you want to give therapy a try, check out BetterHelp. It's entirely online, convenient, and flexible. It's also really easy to get started. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com conspiracy today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash conspiracy. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. In Egyptology, for every important discovery, there are thousands of artifacts that didn't survive. Imagine you find an old jigsaw puzzle, but when you open the box, some of the pieces are missing. Not only that, the ones that are left are damaged, so much though, you can't fit them together. You spend hours believing the pieces will form a beautiful peacock, but only once you finally fit two together do you realize you were wrong this whole time. The thing you thought was a bird's beak, it's actually a cat's claw. This is what it's like to be an Egyptologist. Every conclusion about ancient Egypt comes from what little evidence was left behind, which is why a single discovery can radically redefine what we thought we knew. In 2012, a team of Belgian archaeologists examined the ruins of a necropolis near the Nile River. One wiped away ancient dust to discover an inscription in hieroglyphics. It read, the great king's wife, his beloved, mistress of the two lands, Nefer-Nefruaten, Nefertiti. On its own, this wasn't too remarkable. 
By this time, Egyptologists had found dozens of similar references to Queen Nefertiti. Her images are everywhere in Amarna. After all, she and her husband Akhenaten built the city together. Nefertiti was obviously important, not just as the wife of the king, but as a ruler in her own right. And yet, after a certain point around 1338 BCE, at least 12 years into Akhenaten's reign, there was no trace of her. It was as if she'd vanished from history. It made zero sense. Egyptologists struggled to explain it. Perhaps Nefertiti died of a plague, or she was cast out from the kingdom for some transgression. But the inscription the Belgians found in 2012 blew a hole in those theories. The writing was dated to the 16th year of Akhenaten's reign, several years after researchers originally thought she disappeared. This suggested Nefertiti was very much alive and still part of the king's life, at least for a few more years. Akhenaten's reign ended when he died after 17 years, but though there's no mention of Nefertiti after his death, there are clues as to what she became. As we discussed in part one, it's not clear what the chain of succession was after Akhenaten. There's evidence of one or two short-lived pharaohs named Ankaparure Smenkare and Ankaparure Neferneferuaten. They likely each ruled separately for a few years after Akhenaten's death. Then King Tut, Akhenaten's son by one of his other wives, took the throne around 1332 BCE. It's uncertain exactly how long Smenkare and Neferneferuaten wore the crown, but it's possible at least one ruled alongside Akhenaten as a co-regent while he was still alive. Some even believe Smenkare, Neferneferuaten, and Nefertiti were one and the same. But one of the only images we have of Smenkare was painted during the 12th or 13th year of Akhenaten's reign. In the painting, Smenkare is depicted as a man and is shown with Akhenaten and Nefertiti's daughter. An inscription with the image refers to her as the great royal wife, implying Smenkare is her husband. This all suggests Smenkare is Nefertiti's son-in-law. And because the image was painted at a time when Nefertiti was still being referred to by her own name, it also implies she wasn't yet a pharaoh when Smenkare appeared. Today, most Egyptologists believe Smenkare was not Nefertiti. He was a man who married her daughter and ruled for a short period after Akhenaten's death. But this doesn't mean Nefertiti wasn't also a king. As we mentioned, the other pharaoh who ruled after Akhenaten was named Neferneferuaten, but their full pharaonic title was Ankhepurure Neferneferuaten. Coincidentally, one of Nefertiti's many monikers is Neferneferuaten. In the 1980s, Egyptologists noted Ankhepurure was often written using the feminine form of the name, and usually paired with the title effective for her husband. All of these clues point to the same conclusion. Ankhepurure Neferneferuaten was a woman. Today, archaeologists widely accept the following. 
While Akhenaten was alive, he may have co-ruled with his son-in-law Smenkare. When the older man died, Smenkare served as pharaoh on his own for several years. Then a female pharaoh named Neferneferuaten ascended the throne, either with Smenkare or alone, until King Tut was old enough to govern. It's incredibly likely this pharaoh is the one and only Nefertiti. The evidence we have isn't quite enough to prove anything, but one discovery could cement Nefertiti's legacy as pharaoh, her tomb. According to some Egyptologists, maybe we already found it. Coming up, a young lady might be the key to an ancient mystery. You tell yourself it's only a movie. None of this could ever happen to you. You feel relieved until you discover what you're watching is based on actual events. Hi, listeners. It's Vanessa and Greg from the Spotify original from Parcast, Serial Killers. In our Halloween special, Real Horror, we're spotlighting three of the most iconic horror films of all time and telling the terrifying true stories that inspired them. Recovering the real influences behind characters like Ghostface from the 90s mega-hit Scream. Hannibal Lecter and Buffalo Bill from the Oscar-winning thriller The Silence of the Lambs, and Leatherface from the 70s cult classic The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Enjoy Real Horror, the serial killer's three-part Halloween special. Listen to all three episodes the final week of October, free and only on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. Now, back to the story. In 1898, Egyptologist Victor Leray tried not to get his hopes up as he dug beneath the desert sun. He knew grave robbers had plundered the Valley of the Kings for ages. If he found anything, it would likely be broken or incomplete, ransacked thousands of years before. Still, his heart leapt when he uncovered the entrance to a tomb. If it held even one intact artifact, He'd be a lucky man. As Loray and his workers carefully made their way into the crypt, they came upon four carved boats. Loray couldn't believe it. He would have been thrilled to uncover some broken pottery, but here were several museum-worthy artifacts. If the boats were in such good condition, he could only dream of the other treasures hidden inside them. Visions of alabaster statues and golden jewelry swam in his head. He held up his flickering torch and gasped. A face stared back at him. In the firelight, a body loomed out of the darkness like a nightmare. Desiccated flesh clung to its skull, its mouth frozen in an eternal scream. Loray had stumbled upon a preserved corpse. And it wasn't the only one. Inside the boat, there was another in a stone sarcophagus and several sealed in two side rooms off the main burial chamber. Altogether, Loray found more than a dozen. 
He dubbed the tomb KV-35, the 35th tomb discovered in King's Valley. Using carved scenes on the walls, Luray identified the mummy in the main chamber as Amenhotep II. The others in the tomb were Amenhotep's family, buried alongside him. But not all the bodies were meant to be there. Later, Egyptologists concluded that some of the mummies were originally from other tombs, but they were moved to Amenhotep's to protect them from grave robbers or water damage. It wasn't uncommon for the Nile to flood the Valley of the Kings, destroying mummies and their buried riches. So ancient priests sometimes relocated them to keep them safe. Luray only identified some of the bodies in the tomb, based on hieroglyphics tucked into their wrappings. Many were Amenhotep's family, but the rest were a mystery. In one of the rooms hidden off the main chamber were three unwrapped mummies. The first, who Loray dubbed the Elder Lady, was an older woman with thick, dark hair and a veil. The second was a teenage boy wearing a sidelock hairstyle unique to princes of Egypt. And the third was a horribly damaged figure with a shaved head. This mummy, later identified as the Younger Lady, had been desecrated. Someone had caved in the center of her chest, leaving a gaping hole. A similar wound stretched her mouth into an unnaturally large grin, and her right arm was missing, severed just below the shoulder. While the other bodies in Amenhotep's tomb were examined and brought to museums, these three were left alone. Workers bricked up the entrance of their small room, sealing them in. They were only disturbed twice, once in 1907 by a researcher named Grafton Elliott Smith, and again in the mid-1970s, when Egyptologists were finally able to identify the elder lady and the young prince. For years, they'd suspected the elder lady was Tia, Akhenaten's mother and Tut's grandmother. Later, when King Tut's tomb was opened, one of the artifacts recovered was a lock of hair marked with Tia's name. By 1978, Researchers reopened the sealed room to compare the lock with the elder lady's remaining hair. They also x-rayed her. They discovered the hair was a perfect match, and the x-ray revealed a face that looked startlingly similar to another identified mummy, Tuya, T.A.'s mother. They felt sure the elder lady must be T.A., The young prince also got x-rayed, and Egyptologists felt very certain he was one of Amenhotep II's sons. But for some reason, the damaged younger lady wasn't touched. They resealed the chamber, and the mummies remained at peace for another 30 years. Until 2002, when archaeologist Joanne Fletcher entered the tomb and developed a groundbreaking explanation. Fletcher was an expert in ancient Egyptian hair and makeup. She'd been invited to examine the burial site when an elaborate wig was found near the anonymous mummies. She found it mimicked the short, curly hairstyle of Egypt's ancient neighbors, the Nubians. It was a favorite of Amarna women, especially Queen Nefertiti. Since the younger lady was the only nearby mummy with a shaved head, Fletcher believed the wig was hers. 
no one had ever made this connection before. The Egyptologists who'd come before Fletcher had been too focused on hieroglyphics and x-rays to realize a wig could hold a vital clue. Sadly, this oversight wasn't unusual. As we discussed in Part 1, Egyptology has long been a male-dominated field. The overlooked wig is just one example of the invisible biases that affected research until recently. So, for almost two centuries, the wig was ignored, simply because no one saw the importance in a detail like a hairstyle. It feels poetic that Joanne Fletcher, a female archaeologist, saw what others had missed. The wig was just one of many clues about the younger lady's identity. Different examinations estimated she was anywhere from 25 to 30, though evidence of early arthritis meant she may have been older. Old enough to have had several children, just like Nefertiti. Nefertiti was young when she married Akhenaten, who'd already been ruling for a few years. When he died over a dozen years later, she could have been in her mid or late 20s. This timeline fit the age of the younger lady almost perfectly. And if she was Nefertiti, it could also explain her mysterious wounds. The mummy's caved-in chest and gaping mouth may have been dealt by one of the queen's enemies. During their reign, Akhenaten and Nefertiti elevated one god, the Aten, above all others. This move made them deeply unpopular with many of Egypt's priests. Eventually, Akhenaten and Nefertiti were declared heretics, and their images were destroyed and their names scratched out across the country. It's possible they also desecrated Nefertiti's mummy. If so, it would be yet another connection between Nefertiti and the mysterious younger lady. Still, if Joanne Fletcher wanted to prove her theory, she needed more evidence. In 2003, Fletcher led an expedition into the secret room once more. She'd read the notes of Grafton Elliott Smith, who entered the chamber in 1907. He'd spotted a single arm on the floor. It was a right forearm, which had been bent at the elbow, with the fingers positioned as if they were holding something. Only a certain type of mummy was allowed to be buried with a crooked right arm holding a scepter, a pharaoh. If Fletcher could find the arm and identify the body, it might put the rumors about Nefertiti's rule to rest. Sure enough, when Fletcher first entered the tomb, she found a detached forearm lying next to the younger lady, but it was missing a hand and straight, not the bent, kingly appendage she was hoping for. Fletcher's team measured the mystery arm and found it was shorter than the younger lady's left forearm, which was still attached to the body. Not only that, the wrappings didn't seem to match either. It was somebody's arm, but it wasn't hers. Her team continued to examine the tomb. They noted the young lady had a thin line running around her skull, the impression of a brow band, a kind of circlet that Nefertiti was often pictured wearing. She also had double-pierced ears, something that was uncommon for most Egyptians, but was shown in images of Nefertiti. While examining the younger lady more closely, one of Fletcher's team spotted something. Down by her legs, a dark and curved object was hidden in her wrappings, 
they were fingers. Not just fingers. An entire severed forearm was tucked into the layers of cloth. A right forearm bent at the elbow. It seemed Fletcher had found exactly what she was looking for, but she had to be sure. Fletcher's team x-rayed the body and concluded it was extremely likely the bent right arm found by the younger lady's feet was hers, marking her as a pharaoh. Fletcher couldn't say with complete certainty, but she believed the woman was definitely a royal, quite possibly a pharaoh, and very likely the missing Nefertiti. Her discovery ignited a huge controversy over the mummy's identity. Some were skeptical of Fletcher's conclusions, and soon they put her findings to the test. In 2007, a different group of researchers CT scanned the mummy and the two severed arms. Based on bone density, they concluded the extended right arm, the one thought to be too short, was actually the better fit for the younger lady, not the bent arm like Fletcher had believed. The CT scan also revealed the damage to the mummy, the gaping hole in her chest and mouth, were wounds she received when she was alive, possibly the result of an attack with an axe or a horse kick to the head. It's likely this was what killed her. Wherever the wounds came from, they weren't the result of some post-mortem desecration like Fletcher thought. But researchers still didn't know who the younger lady was, so in 2008, Egyptian archaeologist Zahi Hawass oversaw a series of advanced DNA tests to identify the mummies. The experiment confirmed the elder lady was T.A., Akhenaten's mother and Nefertiti's mother-in-law. While Hawass couldn't pin down the younger lady's identity, his DNA test proved she was Tutankhamun's mother. And she was T.A.'s daughter, meaning she was Akhenaten's sister as well as his wife. Which left researchers wondering if it was still possible the mummy was Nefertiti. It was certainly feasible that Nefertiti and Akhenaten were related. Although sibling marriage was more rare, it was fairly common for Egyptian royals to marry family members. Even so, there are no indications Nefertiti was related to the monarchy before she came to the throne. It's also widely accepted that Nefertiti only had daughters, no sons. Therefore, it was unlikely she was King Tut's mother. Researchers concluded the younger lady had to be one of Akhenaten's other wives. She might have even been his sister, but she sure wasn't Nefertiti. For a few glorious years, it had seemed as though researchers had come close to solving a millennia-old mystery. But the nameless mummy in Amenhotep's tomb was nothing but a red herring. Still, there are some who believe Nefertiti lies somewhere in the Valley of the Kings, and she might just be hidden under our noses in one of the most famous burial sites of all. Coming up, we crack open Tut's tomb. The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. 
I am just praying to God, this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Now back to the story. November 4th, 1922. Egyptologist Howard Carter wiped the sweat from his brow as he sifted through centuries worth of debris. For about five years, he'd been scouring the Valley of the Kings for the tomb of a missing pharaoh. Though he didn't know it at the time, his search was about to pay off. As his shovel hit rock, Carter crouched to brush away layers of sand. Underneath was a carved stone step. Twenty-two days later, Carter and his team uncovered a staircase leading down to a tomb with several rooms. But there was one they had yet to open, a sealed burial chamber. Carter made a small hole in the door and thrust a torch inside. Everywhere he looked was glittering gold. He'd found one of the most undisturbed tombs of the ancient pharaohs, his missing King Tut. For nearly 100 years, Tutankhamun's tomb captured the world's imagination. With the discovery of the late pharaoh's treasures, his golden mask, and his intact mummy, millions journeyed to Egypt to witness the glory themselves. But almost a century later, it seemed there were still secrets hidden in Tut's resting place. In 2015, Egyptologist Nicholas Reeves published a paper outlining an exciting new idea, that King Tut's tomb held a further mystery, a secret door. Reeves had spent months analyzing scans of Tutankhamun's burial chamber. He believed he'd identified not one, but two hidden passageways. Someone had walled them off, concealing them behind elaborate paintings for millennia. Based on the tomb's design, Reeves speculated one disguised space was likely for storage. The other, however, was much more intriguing. Its presence suggested the room King Tut was found in wasn't the tomb's main chamber, but an anteroom, leading him into an even bigger space, the actual burial chamber. It was hard to say why the deceased pharaoh would have been interred in the wrong room. Many researchers believe King Tut's tomb looked rushed and unfinished compared to other pharaohs. Maybe this was because Tut died young, at about 19 years old. Perhaps his intended burial spot wasn't ready in time. But that doesn't explain everything. Like why his crypt was filled with stuff that wasn't his. A lot of items Howard Carter recovered had the wrong names on them. Some speculate these items belonged to Tut's family. During his reign, he moved all the royals buried at Amarna to the Valley of the Kings. So when he died unexpectedly, his tomb was filled with whatever was on hand. 
But with Reeves' discovery of the secret door, these objects took on another possible significance. Perhaps Tut's chambers were filled with the wrong things because he was in the wrong tomb. Reeves theorized the large mausoleum was dedicated to a different occupant who could still be inside, hidden behind the muralled wall. This made a lot of sense. As we saw with Amenhotep II, it wasn't unusual for multiple mummies to be housed in the same space. And this wouldn't be the first time ancient Egyptians built secret passages. In another tomb nearby, a pharaoh's sarcophagus was hidden behind a false wall. Some of the artifacts in Tut's gravesite are labeled as Akhenatans or Nefertitis. Some even say Ankaperure Neferneferuaten, one of the two pharaohs who ruled after Akhenaten. As we said before, there's a strong possibility that Ankaperure Neferneferuaten was Nefertiti. Reeves himself holds this opinion. If Tut didn't have much time to build his final resting place, Maybe someone stuck him in an already existing tomb. Perhaps one belonging to a family member. Maybe someone Tut's contemporaries would rather forget. Someone like Nefertiti. Reeves argues that not only were the burial items in King Tut's tomb repurposed, so were the walls. He claims Images of Nefertiti as the pharaoh Ankhepururi Neferneferuaten were repainted to show King Tut and relabeled with his name. According to Reeves, almost nothing in King Tut's tomb actually belonged to him. Reeves even argues Tut's famous golden mask wasn't originally his. By coincidence, the mask was inspected by a team at the Egyptian Museum. What they found supported Reeves' speculation. Beneath the hieroglyphics spelling Tutankhamun, there had once been another name. With careful analysis, they were able to uncover it. It read Ankaperure Mera Nefekeperure, one of Ankaperure's pharaonic titles. Though these details supported Reeves' stance, the evidence was still circumstantial. To find out once and for all, he had to do the obvious. He had to unlock the secret door. In November 2015, a radar technician descended into King Tut's tomb, lugging his equipment down into the crypt's stale air. The technician used ground-penetrating radar to scan the muralled wall several times. Reeves waited with bated breath as the specialist examined his readout. Then, through a translator, the technician gave the good news. Obviously, it's an entrance to something. The technician explained there was an abrupt transition between bedrock and another kind of material. Potentially a door built into the stone. Behind that, he believed there was empty space, a hidden chamber. Naturally, a find this incredible needed corroboration. So in 2016, a second team went to the Valley of the Kings and scanned the wall in Tut's tomb. This group sent the results to multiple specialists for independent review. Their findings were conclusive. There was no evidence of a space behind the wall. According to this scan, there was no secret chamber. 
In 2017, the National Geographic Society funded a third mission to settle the controversy once and for all. Team of radar technicians scanned the tomb walls at a low, medium, and high frequency. All three came back with the same result. There was nothing behind King Tut's walls. Reeves' theory was wrong. As we said before, the problem with Egyptology is that archaeologists only have a limited amount of evidence to work with. Whole theories can be based on a single carving or an anomaly in a tomb wall. But the hunt for Nefertiti has not been in vain. Since the moment a worker discovered her bust in 1912, Nefertiti's timeless beauty has captured the world's imagination. The search for her has spurred the excavation of Amarna. She galvanized researchers to X-ray and genetically test 3,000-year-old mummies. And most importantly, she has furthered the cause of Egyptology. Every museum admission paid to see her bust, every young woman inspired to study her life, has led to countless discoveries about ancient Egypt. Nefertiti may not be the younger lady or hidden in Tut's tomb, but that doesn't mean she's not out there. It's important to note that the Valley of the Kings is huge. When archaeologists uncovered something noteworthy, they usually honed in on that specific area. This means there are still vast areas of the valley that have never been explored. There are several promising spots that have yet to be dug up. Two in particular are next to the kings who ruled before and after Akhenaten and Nefertiti. And in another section, archaeologists have found artifacts suggesting undiscovered graves may lay nearby. Even with all those sites waiting to be explored, we may be closer than we think to finding Nefertiti. In August 2022, Egyptologist Zahi Hawass spoke at the Italian International Film Festival, introducing a documentary about King Tut. During his speech, he made an exciting announcement. Using DNA technology, he claims he had identified Nefertiti's mummy. As of this recording, we don't know where they found her or if they also discovered her tomb. Details will be released in October 2022. Perhaps by the time this episode airs, we'll finally have the answers we've been looking for. With any luck, they'll be able to prove once and for all whether Nefertiti ruled as a pharaoh. We've waited millennia for the truth. What's a few more weeks? Thanks for tuning in to this episode from The Mummy's Curse, brought to you by Unexplained Mysteries, a Spotify original from Parcast. To experience more episodes from The Mummy's Curse, be sure to listen to our other shows, Conspiracy Theories, Rituals, Haunted Places, and Unsolved Murders. You can find all episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. For more information on the missing queen, amongst the many sources we used, we found the search for Nefertiti by Dr. Joanne Fletcher extremely helpful to our research. See you next time. And remember, never take we don't know for an answer. 
Unexplained Mysteries is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max and Ron Cutler. Sound designed by Juan Borda with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Nick Johnson, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Freddie Rivera. This episode of Unexplained Mysteries was written by Molly Quinlan, edited by Alex Garland and Angela Jorgensen, fact-checked by Catherine Barner, researched by Bradley Klein, and produced by Travis Clark. Unexplained Mysteries stars Molly Brandenburg and Richard Rossner. Mm-hmm.